0: This is Kick-Ass News, I'm Ben Mathis. Hi folks, a few quick announcements. We finally managed to acquire the domain kickassnews.com, so that's going to be the location of the new website. You'll still be able to reach us at the old address though, but if you want to link to us or share the website with friends, be sure to use kickassnews.com. And the new listener email is going to be comments at kickassnews.com from now on. Also, I hope you'll do two things for me this week. Recommend Kickass News to two of your friends and encourage them to listen and subscribe. I want to make a big push to grow our listenership over the next month. And with your help, we'll do that. Just share it with two of your friends. One more thing, if you're so inclined, support what I'm doing here. By making a donation to GoFundMe.com/slash kickassnews. Thanks again for listening, and now enjoy the podcast.
1: Reagan was the target uh, of an assassination attempt outside the Washington Hilton Hotel as the president emerged from making a uh, speech inside the hotel.
0: It had been over a decade since the spate of political assassinations in the 1960s. But just when Americans thought they could breathe again, on March 30, 1981, a lone gunman named John Hinckley Jr. walked up to the most powerful man in the world and put a bullet in him. The story of the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan and the months immediately leading up to and following the crisis are depicted in a new television movie based on Bill O'Reilly and Martin Dugard's number one bestseller, Killing Reagan. The film, which stars Tim Matheson as Ronald Reagan and Sex in the City's Cynthia Nixon as Nancy Reagan, airs on Sunday night, October 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central on the National Geographic Channel. And today... I'm talking with the director of Killing Reagan, Rod Lurie. Graduating from the United States Military Academy at West Point, Rod Lurie served in the U.S. Army as an air defense artillery officer before becoming an entertainment reporter and film critic for papers like the New York Daily News, Premiere, Movie Line, Entertainment Weekly, and Los Angeles Magazine, as well as on the radio for KMPC and KABC. His credits as a director and writer include Deterrence, the critically acclaimed film The Contender starring Gary Oldman and Joan Allen, The Last Castle starring Robert Redford and James Gandolfini, Nothing But the Truth about the Valerie Plame Affair, Resurrecting the Champs starring Samuel L. Jackson, and the 2011 remake of Straw Dogs. On the small screen, he was the creator and executive producer of the ABC drama series Line of Fire and Commander-in-Chief, which starred Gina Davis as the first female president. Looking at his resume, politics in Washington seemed to be a running theme with Rod Lurie. We'll talk about that today and how much of his interest in politics came from his famous father. We talk about how Nat Geo meticulously fact-checked killing Reagan and sought to set the record straight around some popular myths of the Situation Room crisis and a power grab by Alexander Haig while Reagan was in the operating room. Rod talks about collaborating with Bill O'Reilly and dealing with some of the controversial subject matter in O'Reilly's original book. He discusses the pressure and responsibility of portraying an historical president versus a fictional president. He tells the story of where he was on the day Reagan was shot. And of course, we're going to talk about the recent release of Reagan attacker John Hinckley Jr., coming up with writer-director Rod Lurie in just a moment. Today I'm chatting with Rod Lurie. His credits as a director and or writer have included Deterrence, The Contender, The Last Castle, nothing but the truth about the Valerie Plame affair, Resurrecting the Champ, Straw Dogs, and the television drama series Line of Fire and Commander-in-Chief, which starred Gina Davis as the fictional first female president. Now Rod Lurie is returning to the White House with a new film based on Bill O'Reilly and Martin Dugard's book, Killing Reagan, which stars Tim Matheson as Ronald Reagan and Cynthia Nixon as Nancy Reagan. It airs this Sunday, October 16th at 8, 7 Central on National Geographic Channel. Rod, thanks for coming on the podcast. Here I am. (laughs) Here I am. Very happy to be here. Well, first, I want to acknowledge the fact that as far as I can think of... (laughs) While we've had defense secretaries and generals and national security advisors to the president on, I think, I could be wrong, but I believe you are the first West Pointer to oh, come right? on the show.
1: Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, now. And you, and
0: maybe you've had some Annapolis guys here, which you wouldn't want to tell me. Was your time at West Point distinguished, or did you? How many hours did you have oh, to walk? Oh, I was the worst cadet, man. <laughs> how many hours terrible. did you walk? The I, yard I think there? that I
1: broke the century mark. I think really? I broke over hundred hours. <laughs> yeah, no, I was. They were gunning for me. I mean, I was. I was a terrible cadet. I was a get over. I, I. I really. Uh, the military. Uh, I don't. My dad is a big military guy. He was in the right? Israeli military. Right. He was a tough ass. But I, right. um,
0: Ron, Ronan Lurie, Ronan lurie right? he became
1: a you know he's a war hero and, and and he was so excited when I went to West Point <laughs> and uh, you know I didn't ha- I did not have a distinguished cadet career. My grades were okay, but the um, as a military guy, no, I lasted a, <laughs> just a few years in the military. Then I was out.
0: You've certainly had an unusual career path. Right. I, I think it speaks to the fact that there is no perfect foolproof path for anyone who wants to break into entertainment. That's right. What made you get out of the military track and go into entertainment? Well, you know, I, I always wanted to be a, a movie maker since
1: I was a little boy. I mean, I've always been nuts about films. I saw, I think I was like eight years old when I saw Ben-Hur on TV, the first time I came on TV. And ever since I saw Ben Hur, I decided I wanted to be involved in movies, even if it meant like melting the butter on the popcorn. It didn't matter. <laughs> and when I went to West Point, I, I, part of the reason that I went there, actually, to be honest with you, was to become a filmmaker. I know that sounds crazy. I was tell, the you film know, school well, at West Point. <laughs> there's no, there was one film class. I got an A plus in it. Oh, um, our our final exam was about the movie The Third Man, and I nailed it. <laughs> but the, but the, um, well. You go – when I talk to film students today, I tell them, do what I did. Don't go to film school. Go and study what you want to make movies about. And I was very interested in history. I was very interested in leadership. is always fascinating to me. And principles are always fascinating to me. And there's no better school in the world for leadership and principle Mm -hmm. and and history for that matter. Yeah. They have the saying that at West Point that the history that they teach is made by the men that they taught and now the women that they taught – and uh, so where, wherever I went at West Point, I always asked myself the same question, which is, where would I put the camera? Where would I put it? It's such a spectacular place. And one day, I will break the cherry of West Point and actually a film actually movie Actually shoot there. something there. Yeah, they haven't done that since the 40s or the 50s. Really? Well, what movie was it? It was
0: uh, The Long Grey Line, I think it was. Okay.
1: It was, it was called.
0: Okay, okay. Now, you have a tradition, I believe, of inserting little tributes to West Point in your films. Right. I looked. Was there one in Killing Reagan?
1: There is in—well, Well. yes. I missed absolutely. it. No, of course—well— because you're not, if you're a West Pointer, you won't miss it. Because Al okay. Haig is a West Pointer, oh, and I course. did this well, yeah. insert of his huge ring that he slams oh, down on okay. the table when he's trying to take command of uh, of a situation. <laughs> and actually, okay. there was something that we shot that we cut out, which was uh, I
0: did know he was a West Pointer. Yeah. I did remember that
1: he yeah. was he was a, very much a West Point graduate. I don't know if I think he's one of our stellar graduates, but uh, <laughs> but he's definitely a graduate, and and yeah, that's definitely there, absolutely.
0: <laughs> now you've. Dealt with politics in a lot of your films. That's yeah. kind of a running Almost all theme. Of them, yeah, yeah. Why? Why is that a well that you keep coming back to? Goes to my childhood. You know, mm-hmm. my my dad
1: was a, uh, a a political cartoonist. In fact, he's right one of the number, probably the most successful political cartoonist of all time. In terms, he has terms a Guinness of, World Record, right, uh, uh, for like the most syndicated that's political right. cartoonists. That's that's yeah. absolutely correct. Yeah, and. uh and so my entire childhood was taken up by this, and I'm this, we immigrated from Israel, so I didn't get the gene for uh, following the Yankees or the Mets <laughs> like my peers, and instead I was following primaries on Tuesdays, and I just loved the uh, sort of the, the blood sport that, that politics was. I thought it was incredibly fascinating, and uh, we had governors and senators and congressmen and generals and ambassadors going through our house, and I just never got it out of my system, and and I remember in nineteen seventy three watching the, the Watergate hearings and just being fascinated by, by by that. It never got out of my system. Nineteen seventy six, late April, April nineteenth, I think it was, I went to go see all the president's men and it uh,
0: changed my life, you know. Yeah. And then you worked with Robert Redford. I worked with Robert Redford. The last Redford.
1: castle. I worked with Robert Redford on the on the last castle. Yeah, yeah that must have been fun. Dude, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it was really it was really one of the great one of the great bucket list moments of my life to work with a guy who I think should be on the Mount Rushmore of cinema. Yeah. When you consider all the presidents' men, the candidate, the sting, Butch Cassidy, but then you consider Sundance and what he created and what he did for independent film. He's certainly one of the most important men in the history of film. And um you know, we used to go out every night, almost every night, to dinner. I just uh, the rest of the cast I couldn't care less about. We used to party a little bit with Gandolfini. And that was fun. <laughs> oh, really? Was yeah, he, yeah. Well, yeah.
0: Apparently, he partied a little too much. I guess. Well, you know, unfortunately, it's
1: it's, it's, it's really Fragic. it's it's really unfortunate. But he was he was great to be with. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, you don't know what life is. I'll like. bet he, he was a good time. You don't know what living is. So you gone to a nightclub <laughs> with Tony Soprano. But but Redford and I, we would go out to dinner all the time, and we would just talk. We talk a lot of politics. Oh, really? Yeah, sure. And we talk about presidents, men, and What year the was that film? Was that during the Bush years, I guess? That film um, came out... Um right after Bush was elected. Okay. Right. And okay. Redford was bitching about it non fucking stop. <laughs> oh, that's all he that's all he was complaining about was, <laughs> you know, that we have this Trump in the in the presidency <laughs> right
0: now and that they stole it from us and
1: Yeah, he was really he was really getting hot,
0: I must say. <laughs> yeah. Well, this new film is based on Bill O'Reilly's book, yeah. Killing Reagan. Now, Reagan has been covered several times in the mini series uh, on the Reagans, and then yeah, there was really. a Showtime film It ab- was about, the day, about the day Reagan was shot. Right. Ours is, what, yeah, what is the real this, deal. Yeah. What is the angle that you were looking for on this that you felt hadn't been portrayed? First, can I say something? I'll answer that question, but I got to get something off my chest. <laughs>
1: And that is, you said it's Bill O'Reilly's killing Reagan and Martin Dugard and Martin Dugard. Sure, he's they're both they they write fun books. Yeah, those books are fun. If you ever read them, they're fun. They're they're very readable and they deserve to be bestsellers. And I think they've done a lot of good in that they've introduced history uh, back uh, to to a population of people who might not normally be reading them. Right and but. My agent calls me and you have to understand, first of all, that I don't know if liberal begins to describe what I am, but, (laughs) you know, I'm very ensconced in liberalism and in being a Democrat and being a good Democrat and – and so he, my agent calls and says, uh, Bill O'Reilly, killing Reagan, you interested? <laughs> and I wanted to fire the guy. How is it, He's calling me and asking me if I want to do a Bill O'Reilly uh, thing. <laughs> and he said, look, look, read the book and read the, read the script, please. Yeah. Just, just do that. So I some did. It persuading. I did. And, and I'm going to tell you something about O'Reilly, who I, uh, I don't agree with a thing Bill says, g- generally speaking. But the book was nonpartisan. It did not go easy on Reagan at all. In yeah. fact, it it, it made some, some very controversial. Made, made some very controversial claims, but it dealt with his womanizing before he was married. I mean, it was not. He, it, this was not a canonization of, of Reagan. I got to give Bill credit for, for that, certainly. And the script, which is written by a guy named Eric Simonson, who's also a lefty, um, you know. There was just none of this turning him into in, in, into a saint, and it yeah. seemed to be uh, a very appropriate TikTok of of what happened in the three months before the assassination, the assassination, and then the three months after. And I thought this is something that uh, that I could do.
0: Yeah, and I, I confess that I haven't read the book. Right. You know, all of his books seem to reach number one bestsellers, and I did watch the film. My question about Bill is. I, I, is he some kind of a sociopath? What is this obsession <laughs> with killing? Mean? Killing Jesus, killing JFK, killing Pat, killing Reagan. What is? I don't that? think he's. A, I
1: don't think he's a sociopath. What I think is he's a. What a, is he, with the killing? No, no, he's not a sociopath. He's a capitalist. Sometimes, okay. it's, Sometimes it's the same thing, <laughs> and he found a winning formula. Okay. Look, Bill used to be a history teacher. I don't know if. He, oh, uh, I didn't know that he used to be a history really? teacher. Yeah, and and I think that you know he has this yen to teach history and. It's it's interesting when we were get on the phone with him, he would give us little history lessons about the about the Reagan years, and you know, I really wanted to not like him, but he's really kind of an entertaining guy, and he's very affable, and he's always. I've asked him for a couple of favors that he's delivered on, and so I gotta say, you know, okay, and I and I got a good job out of it.
0: Now, what was Bill O'Reilly like to collaborate with? Was I can't imagine he's someone <laughs> who's easy in a notes meeting. <laughs> he's not bad, yeah he's not bad, okay,
1: no, no I mean, uh, the, when I came on, the screenplay had already been written, which is sort of an unusual thing for me because I almost always write write my own things, and he uh he did have some suggestions about the screenplay, and he had some suggestions about the movie itself, particular- in particular the ending of the movie uh but I'll tell you, the the one really fascinating day was the day that Bill O'Reilly came to set.
0: Bill O'Reilly comes to Hollywood. Yeah,
1: well, it was in Atlanta, which <laughs> okay. is now which now basically is Hollywood. We're doing the the scene where Al Haig is in the press room saying, "I'm in control here," and there are like 40 or 50 people there, uh, reporters. That means there're 40 or 50 extras. And these are extras from Atlanta and Georgia, right? <laughs> And so O'Reilly just walks into that room, all seven foot four of him, whatever he is, and you would have sworn that Jesus had walked into the press room, you know, because these, they're all these middle aged white guys, and, you know, and they're all reaching out. They want to touch him. They want his autograph. They want questions. They're, they're completely blown away. And, um, Bill's first instinct was to do a Q and A with these guys. So let's do a Q and A. He, he's very nice. He's generous to his fans. So he took uh, over. He no, literally took over the no, White House no, he press did, room. He, <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. Uh, in fact, he. Um, uh, we told him we, we we didn't have time to do uh, any sort of question <laughs> and answer because
0: they would go on forever. Those guys would, yeah. would bombard him nonstop. Oh, you know, you've directed, I think, by my count, films portraying six different fictional movie presidents. That's right. Is that right? Yep. Did you feel more pressure or responsibility in taking on a historical president?
1: Oh yeah, of course. I mean we we really had to, we really had to get that right and, and you're hitting on something that's 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 really interesting because one of the you know for the, for British actors, for many actors, Hamlet is the you know, that is the steel the steel fortress of, of actors. That's where you earn your chops. But I also think that playing a real-life American president is as well, and people know their presidents so well. So if you don't yeah. get it right, you're really in trouble. And yeah. so, you know, we picked Tim, and I, I sat Tim with Matheson Tim, Tim Matheson. Tim Matheson, I sat with him at Arts Deli in Studio City, which is a classic place. I know Arts. You know, you know, <laughs> they're yeah, they're very well filled with old timers. You, yeah. <laughs> you know, you uh, know, you understand the whole Oscar so white. Controversy when you sit in <laughs> yeah. an arts deli, right? Yeah. And uh, we sat there and we were trying to figure out, you know, how are we going to nail this? How is he going to nail this? And,
0: and, and that, that's got to be hard because Reagan, I mean, it's so easy to do a caricature. And that's it. How does it not become Saturday Night Live? Exactly. Right? So well, the trick
1: with Reagan, as it turned out, was that Reagan breathed a certain way. Huh. He would Think about it now. Everyone, uh, listen, I want you to think about it. When Reagan gave speeches, he would stop in the middle of a sentence, take a little breath, just a tiny breath, and then continue with the speech. He would breathe in mid-sentence, mm-hmm. which is sort of an unusual thing to do. Yeah. And Tim understood that. He was working with a dialect coach named Jessica Drake, who's the best of the best, if you, if you ask me. And they identified that together. And, and I think that, and honest, honest to God, Ben, I think that, when we talk about from here on in about the great performances of actors as presidents, we're going to have to include Tim in, in the conversation. In my in my opinion, yeah, he does a fantastic job, yeah, and, and you're going to see him in all the awards and, uh, and you know and, and so on. And um, it's interesting because he he and and Cynthia Nixon, you know, she plays uh, Nancy, right from Sex and City. Sex among and the other City. City. I saw her first in Amadeus.
0: Oh, oh, is she in Amadeus? She was six.
1: She was sixteen. Yeah. I didn't realize yeah. that. Both of these guys are diehard liberals. And yeah. like, And like Cynthia is like carrying the flag, <laughs> you know. And she agreed to do it. And she started – the more she read about Nancy, the more she liked her and the more she hated her. Yeah. You know, there was a the, that kind of combination. And she also does, a, I think, a great job.
0: There are parts of it where you feel that she is kind of overstepping her bounds right. or – You know, you definitely bring in the astrology stuff. Right. I I guess that is accepted fact now. It's It's absolutely accepted fact.
1: No, no, it's absolutely accepted. Joan Quigley was her name, and I think that that is documented and for sure. And, you know, we don't—you know, it's interesting. The the movie does portray, I would say, given the circumstance of the story, a positive image of of Reagan, but we don't shy away from what was— Negative, if you even want to call it that, mm-hmm. you know that fact that Nancy really, really took control; that she was extremely, uh, extremely controlling, and yeah. that Reagan allowed that to happen. Yeah, and you know she had much more power than his uh, than than his aides.
0: Yeah, and I think there's one point where she kind of—I think it was James Baker—where she kind of smacks him down and she says, "Never, never, never tell, him, tell him, him he's failing." That's right.
1: That's right, and and all that is true. And I'll say, by, by the way. You know, you hear this thing inspired by a true story, based on a true story. This is true story. Mm-hmm. I mean, we that re- <laughs> that Geo is really anal about this. They've got all oh, bet, dude. They've got more researchers on this, and they have people working on the Manhattan Project. <laughs> they were all over all over us from beginning to end. You know, no, this guy. You know, the owner of the gun shop where Hinckley bought the gun in Dallas had a son, not a daughter. And we were, you know, it's... Wow.
0: Yeah. Wow. They Yeah, they crossed their T's there. Yeah, or the other way around. Whatever is in the <laughs> film is what's right.
1: But I'm, I'm not sure.
0: Well, since you brought up Hinkley, I want to talk about that because I've never really known that much about John Hinkley Jr., but, mm. of course, he's back in the news now since his release. Yeah. In the film, you see Hinkley, I guess, sort of mimicking Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver, right. doing the whole, you talking to me? right. Do you think he saw himself in some ways as Travis Bickle, the character from the film, as some kind of screwed up social justice warrior? Or perhaps he he saw Jodie Foster as that character from the movie and was trying to play a role for her?
1: Well, okay, so what happened there, first of all, he's simply crazy. Yeah. Or he was crazy. They're saying he's not crazy (laughs) anymore.
0: Although at the premiere, Um, oh, does he have an invite to the premiere? Oh, no. Well, we had the
1: premiere, and uh, my wife and I were always looking over our shoulders, yeah. right? You know, wanting to make sure he wasn't there. Did he oh, <laughs> Is that a he didn't line? get
0: an invitation? That would have been one of the no, last he, people still around. You could have
1: invited. You know, I tried. <laughs> Did I tried. you really? No, no, not really. He's not allowed in Washington D.C. Oh, oh, okay. He um, he saw himself uh, as Travis Bickle, yes, hmm. but not as a warrior for justice. He 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 simply saw himself as being in the same world as Jodie Foster. Mm -hmm. And his, in uh, Taxi Driver, Travis Bickles tries to shoot uh, Governor Palantine or Senator Palantine, Right. Who's a presidential candidate. And so he sees that as uh, similar to the path that he's going to take. He's going to shoot a president. But you know, on the day of the assassination, he had many courses of action. Kill the president.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Kill Senator Kennedy, Ted Kennedy. Yeah, That was an option. Another option was take the bus to New Haven,
0: kill Jody, kill himself.
1: Those were, the, those were yeah. the four
0: options. It does seem like his targeting Reagan basically came down to a matter of opportunity. Yes. And if he had waited 24 hours, who knows? It might have been Gore Vidal or Mick Jagger that he decided he wanted to go after. Yeah,
1: he was very influenced, uh, he was very influenced uh, by the shooting of uh, John Lennon. Mm-hmm. And he saw how famous Mark Chapman became. As a result, and he wanted to have that same fame because he thought that that would um, be impressive to Jody. But you know that, um, okay. Well, uh, this is not really a spoiler. It's the first scene of the movie, uh, but and it's one of the big reveals is that he he stalked Jimmy Carter as well. He almost took him out, right? And it, so it was just you know we're gonna get somebody famous. So we, we you know killing a president is the biggest thing you can do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Maybe I'll go after—you know, if, if Paul McCartney was there, he would have gone after McCartney, yeah. I suppose. Just like he didn't said, really
0: have anything against Ronald Reagan. had nothing against Ronald Reagan. It was just—he was looking for a celebrity that would impress Jodie Foster and Reagan. It's ironic that Reagan seemed like the soft target to him. Right. He was— <laughs> The president is. of the United States. By, by, the, by the way, so
1: much for— um, the best way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun because that, there are a lot of good guys with guns there. Right. And Hinckley got off. Hinckley, who is a schmuck of a marksman, got off <laughs> six shots in four seconds. Yeah. Hit, and four people got hit. They, by the way, he wasn't aiming at them. They, the bullets <laughs> were flying. And um, the bullet that hit Reagan didn't even hit him. It ricocheted off his limousine Right. and, uh, and, um, and went into his left
0: chest. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back to talk more with Killing Reagan director Rod Lurie when we come back in just a moment. If you're enjoying my conversation with Killing Reagan director Rod Lurie, then you'll want to read the book on which the movie was based, Killing Reagan, by Fox News' Bill O'Reilly and Martin Dugard. And right now you can download the audio version of their book for free with a special promotion just for our listeners from Audible.com. Just go to audibletrial.com kickassnews for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook download, which can be Killing Reagan or any of Audible's 180,000 titles. That's audibletrial.com kickassnews. Or click on the sponsor link on our webpage to download the free audiobook of your choice. And now, back to the show. When Reagan was in the operating room, a lot has been made of the supposed situation room crisis. There was a previous movie called The Day That Reagan Was Shot where they focus almost entirely on that. This Mm -hmm. idea that supposedly... We nearly got into a nuclear war when Reagan right. was under the knife. Do you think that we were ever seriously close to a confrontation with the Soviets while he was in the operating room?
1: Anybody that watches that movie the day that Reagan was shot with Richard Dreyfus playing Al Haig, which is immediately immediate cause for to question the, <laughs> the film um is not going to get the truth of uh anywhere close to the truth of what happened you know and i and i and i tend not to be disrespectful to other filmmakers but and I, and i don't see myself in any way in competition with this with this film but i feel just as a a student of history and a champion of history that almost everything in that film is bullshit and including the fact they have they have a, a second assassin going into the hospital to try to kill reagan right. in the hospital which is idiotic and never and never yeah. and never happened I will say that in terms of coming close to a nuclear war, there was a brief moment of panic when the um, some of the Soviet subs were moving a little bit closer to uh, the states so that the missiles would hit. Instead of—if they fired their missiles, they could get to American shores 10 minutes faster than they would have otherwise, right? Yeah. And so— you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on here. Now, as it turned around, they were simply changing battalions. Mm-hmm uh, is, is, is what was yeah. is what was going on there. But um Cab Warm Cap Weinberger did um order that uh our DEFCON readiness be 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 raised and that got into a conflict with Al Haig over
0: that. Mm-hmm. Um and we do show that in our film. You seem to be a little bit kinder to Al Haig than previous depictions. Mm-hmm. You know, there there is the famous press conference where he incorrectly asserts himself as the third in line to the right. president. But in contrast to that, he's the one who's trying to get Vice President Bush back to D.C. Right. He's the one who opposes Cap Weinberger right. when he wants to raise right. the threat level. Right. Um, so he's the uh, one who's worried about the crisis in the press room and right. you know alarming people. Right. Do Do you think that Al Haig has been treated a little unfairly in he,
1: ha- he has revisionist not, history. He has, a, and I'll tell you why in a second. But I I, I want to make the point that what happens in the assassination in our film and what happens in the hospital. And especially what happens in the situation room is close to perfect in mm-hmm. terms of historical accuracy. Really? And I say that because in the situation room, Richard Allen, the national security advisor, put a tape recorder down in the middle of the table, and he taped all this stuff. Oh, So I would say that 90% of the dialogue that we have in there is directly from the tapes. Okay. So wow. we're not guessing, and, and we're not yeah. making anything up there. And um, sometimes, it, it, sometimes – because body language is used, I'm not quite certain what they mean, what they mean to be saying as mm-hmm. they're saying it in in those tapes, and we had to fill in the blanks a little bit, but we got those absolutely perfect. Wow. Here's why I think Al Haig got a, a bum rap, and I to name drop, I I talked to Ed Meese about this film, who was uh, you know okay. Reagan's principal yeah. uh, aide, wow. and he also thinks that Haig got a bad rap. Here is what Haig says up there, and he he was not wrong when he went up on that stage and said. As you know, th- this is the way it goes. It goes from the president to the vice president mm-hmm. to the secretary of state. As uh, I am in control here at the White House, okay? Okay. Now, we what we know is that succession is president, vice president, right. Speaker of the, speaker House, of the House, president pro temp, yeah. secretary of state. He was talking about who's running the show at the White House is what he was okay. talking about, okay? And that is why and and um uh Patrick uh Saint Esprit, who plays Hague just great in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. He mimics him exactly as he said it. And he said it like this. I would just wanted to listen to my intonation. I am in control here at the White House. He's not saying I'm in control of the United States. Okay. He's saying in so that situation room, I'm the guy and I'm gonna be I'm oh, gonna okay. be running the show down there. So, yeah, he got a bum he got a bum yeah. rap. Now, he's an asshole in general, Hague, you know, and um and is a, uh, you know, and, and is very blustering and very ambitious and West Point graduate. West I'm sorry I said it. Yeah, yeah, I know, but but yeah, he he overstepped his bounds, but I I th- I personally think he did a a rel-
0: had a re- relatively good day. Now, you end the film with that very touching final letter by Ronald Reagan, in which he announced his Alzheimer's to the world. The source for the film, Killing Reagan, the uh, the Bill O'Reilly, Martin Dugard book... Here we go. ...attracted a good deal of controversy. He you know it was coming, because Bill O'Reilly asserted that Reagan was showing signs of Alzheimer's while he was still in the White House. Now, right. you left that out. Yes. Um, was that a conscious decision by Nat Geo to respect the Reagan legacy? Was that just... Uh, a matter of it didn't fit into the timeline you wanted to portray? First of all,
1: I I want to say this really carefully because I this movie is definitely based on the Bill O'Reilly book. And Eric Simonson, that's the way I'll put it, Eric Simonson based his screenplay on Bill's book and I based my movie on Eric's screenplay. Okay. Right? And, and although I did a tremendous amount of research uh, beyond what was in the screenplay or even what is in... Uh, what is in the book? Um, we had to make decisions had to be made along the way because the book covers, I mean, forever. And we, I wanted to concentrate on the couple of months after the um, after the assassination attempt, and it's only after that 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 controversial section begins. Right. Okay. So we don't get into it not because we're running away from it, but just because you know we're we're covering a part of the book. Yeah, by necessity, not the mm-hmm. not not the entire book.
0: Okay, yeah. Now, how was do... that
1: for tap dancing around? <laughs> the, uh...
0: Well, but you do have the uh, one scene where the doctor is saying to Nancy that he may not be the same after this. That's right. Things may be different. Is are you somewhat hinting at that? I I, I that certainly
1: scene? did not intend to hint that he, he was going to get Alzheimer's as a result <laughs> of the assassination attempt. I think what the doctor is saying, uh, I know what the doctor is saying, is mm-hmm. that. He's going to be much weaker. He's going to be physically weaker. Okay. And okay. You're and a man, physically. Look, a man of 70 takes a bullet yeah. and goes under for that long. It's going to have an effect on him. And, and in fact, it did, have a, he did, it did have an effect on him. In the book Veil, written by the great Bob Woodward, they talk about how Reagan was actually using um, oxygen masks in the White House for a mm-hmm. long time. Really? After the, um, after the assassination attempt.
0: Now Hinckley was released, as we said, from a mental institution, I guess about a month ago right uh thirty five years after his attempt on Reagan, he was clearly in the film, you see a mixed up mentally disturbed young right. man a troubled almost a troubled teen, although he was older than that, played by Kyle Moore, by the way, yeah,
1: great performance,
0: yeah, yeah, excellent now, do you think that it's about time? I would say this is He was
1: found not guilty by reason of insanity. Mm -hmm. And the court said he's going to be kept in a mental facility until such time that he's— I I don't know what the exact wording is, but the cliche is not a danger to himself or to society. And that's really where he is. He's Mm -hmm. 60-something right now. And uh, the truth is, as a taxpayer, I don't want to be paying his taxes. I don't want to be paying for him to be in this hospital anymore. You know, let him get out of our lives as taxpayers— He's living with his mom. He is probably like more like Norman Bates at the end of uh, you know a Psycho. He can't hurt a fly, you know. Just, he's, you know, I I think he's basically has as much will have as much impact on this world now as a cat in Upper Mongolia. Just he, he, you know, and if he's not a danger, then he's then he's yeah. then he's not a danger. And you know, I we're the United States of America. We don't. We don't imprison people that are not supposed to be imprisoned. At, at mm-hmm. least, that should be the case.
0: Now, did you get any input from Jodie Foster? Huh. No, no. no. <laughs> okay. Come on. Okay. Come on. You know, when I was a journalist, though,
1: you know, she uh, she wrote an article. I think it was for Esquire, and 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 said, "This is the last time I'm ever going to say about about this issue." And um, when I was a journalist. Uh, I interviewed her once uh, when Silence of the Lambs came out, and and um, I w- I vowed I was going to get her to talk about it, and I and I asked her I said, listen, you've had you're playing an FBI agent, you have had experiences with FBI agents, how does this Try drive with in. the experiences that you had, thinking that I would open the door, and somehow she really expertly shut that door down, and I never I never really got <laughs> got beyond that. By the way. You know, she—a little controversy with her, too, because she had told the FBI that she had never spoken to Hinckley, ever. And she was an 18-year-old girl when she does this, and she may have been scared or may may have uh, honestly forgotten, but she spoke to him a couple of times. And uh, spoke to him on the phone. Yeah. And actually, he came to visit her at at Yale. We show that in the movie. He didn't physically contact her, but he— Went up to her dorm room and he left notes and it was kind of creepy and she turned those notes over to the dean but she had two phone conversations with him and she knew his name because he said to her, there's one conversation that goes like this. He says, hello, Jody. She goes, who's this? He goes, John. She goes like, John Hendricks? And he goes, no. She goes, John Hinckley. And he goes, yeah. And then she goes, oh, no, you got to stop calling. Yeah. What she didn't know was that Hinckley had tape recorded the conversations and those tape-recorded phone calls were found in his, uh, in his hotel room at the Park Central Hotel, and those tapes you can go online and hear them now. And in fact, the um, in fact the conversations that John has with Jody, are fairly representative of exactly the conversations that he had with her.
0: All that I want to know is I would love to have been there to see the moment when he gets out of a mental institution 35 years later and finds out that Jodie Foster's a lesbian. Well, I, you know, you know. Yeah. After all that. I know. Well, apparently he found that out a long
1: time ago. Yeah. And, if I, I, you know, you go ahead and you put, you, everyone go and Google John Hinckley lesbian and you'll see all the stories of how pissed off he was. That, you know, for all that, you know. I should have gone after Christy McNichol from Family or something, <laughs> yeah. you
0: know. Well, you know, you didn't release this film in the middle of March you know, or some other time. No. We're a month from the election. Yeah, very much on purpose. Yeah. Were there parallels that you wanted people to draw? Were there things you wanted people to be thinking about as they watched the film?
1: The thing I want them to think about is gun control and mental health.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, as I said before— all those good guys with guns didn't stop this maniac with a, with a gun, who got the gun very easily, not as easily as he can get it today, but he got it very yeah. easily, right? And he he was arrested, he was arrested with guns, in Nashville. The guns are confiscated. It goes in the database of some kind. Car, it's the same day that Carter was giving his rally in Nashville, and then a month later he buys him and buys new guns in Dallas, just like that. Mhm. All right. The ease with which we get guns is atrocious. And people who don't understand keep screaming second amendment as if simply preventing criminals from getting guns or the maniacs from getting guns is somehow going to mean you're going to lose all, you know, your little revolver or the rifle you go shoot ducks with. <laughs> um, you know, that th- that's that's crazy. Yeah. And Reagan shut down a lot of mental health programs as well. So there's an, right. ir- there's an irony Here in California. An irony, an irony there. Yeah. But but I will say we definitely there there is no it is no surprise that this movie is being released when it is. The height of interest. But we really lucked out away in a way with Donald Trump. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We lucked out with this yeah. guy in a way. Because Because Donald Trump is even making Democrats nostalgic for Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. That this guy can be compared—this guy dares to ever compare himself to Reagan. Yeah. I was no fan of Reagan. I mean, he—I will never forgive him for for Bitburg. I'll never forgive him for completely dismissing AIDS, for trickle-down economics. But he was a man. Do you remember— not long ago, when the Secret Service jumped up on the stage that Trump was in because somebody was trying right. to get up there. And I thought Trump was going to wet his pants. Maybe he <laughs> did wet his pants. He wearing a dark suit. you know. He behaved like a little girl up yeah. there. And Reagan gets a bullet in him. <laughs> and as he gets to the hospital and they say, come on, Mr. Reagan, and we're going to carry you. And he, he, he stands up he buttons his jacket. By the way, we got that exactly right yeah. also. Yeah. He walks in and waits till the doors behind him have closed before he lets Mother Nature collapse his body. Yeah. That's a man, okay? And he's yeah. making jokes. And why is he doing this, Ben? He's doing this because he knows that the country is going to freak out. Right. He didn't soil his pants like Trump might have. This guy who took five deferments from Vietnam because he yeah. had a bone spur, or, and he wanted to go to you know, and said that. Oh, I don't like Trump, by the way. But, really? Yeah, I don't like him, and you know, <laughs> I can't tell. and
0: I would take Reagan any right. day. Prob- I might take Reagan over the other one too, but I think you know. I would take any president. I would take the worst president. I'm trying to think who that would be Nixon. over Trump. Nixon. Nixon or Warren G. Harding. I don't know. Yeah, if you want to go farther back, whatever. But his people love to say, "Well, our guy Trump—he's a lot like Reagan. Reagan wasn't, uh, yeah. you know, a political expert, and all these things." That's you, right. So you it, don't see all of well, these he, nonsense he ta- parallels they he, draw. No.
1: <laughs> you know, I, okay. Here's something else I like about Reagan, and, and I really mean this. As wrong as his ideas were, he was sincere about them. You know they he really he he was a strong conservative but he really believed in it and he could give humorous examples and he could win people over with some level of uh, uh some level of logic you know trump says he's going to build a wall says so he's going to ban muslims and it's you know he he's a pure i don't know whether he believes it or not i don't care he's a pure demagogue he's appealing yeah. reagan appealed to the best in us and mm-hmm. this guy appeals to the worst in us yeah i think you know,
0: yeah, and you know, it's like I, I, off mic before we started. I was telling you, I had Michael Reagan on a while yeah. back, and he was like, "Why does everyone want to be my dad? Right. My dad didn't want to be Eisenhower. You know, why does everyone on the Republican side want to mm-hmm. be a president from 30 years ago that couldn't possibly relate to the problems we're facing today?" I think you know Absurd. what I
1: think after this election, when when he loses and he's going to get trounced, <laughs> the name Donald is going to be retired. It's going to be, be like, like Adolf. It's, it's going to be like Adolf. You know, like no one's going you to know, except for these, a few of these hillbilly loonies, you know. Uh, you know, when I saw Reagan at that debate, I, I was looking, Tim and I were just looking at Tim Matheson. I was just looking at footage after footage after footage. And there's that great moment where at the debate where he says to whomever, I'm paying for this microphone. Right. But he does it with such dignity and like, yeah. you know, and he's, he, he's.
0: Yeah, he's not belligerent or petty about it. That's what he wasn't, you yeah. know. I kind of, you know, I like him. What can I tell you? He's <laughs> a he's a, he's a,
1: he's a he's a he's a decent guy. Yeah. I met him once when I was really? a kid. Yeah, he came no, I was cadet at cadet at West Point and he um he was the he was the speaker. Um, are you old enough? Were you alive when Reagan was, was shot? I was alive when he was
0: uh, shot. I, I yeah, I think I can barely. I know I remember the Challenger disaster, and I'm pretty sure that I can vaguely remember when he was yeah. shot. I, to
1: me, I'll, I'll, uh, I don't think I've shared the story with anybody. The, I was in my room at what you know at the academy. I think I was studying. That's what, the only thing we do, and that and push-ups. and a kid, another cadet, uh, Craig Hogan. Remember it very well, redheaded kid burst in my room and said, The president's been shot. My first instinct was to put on my coat. It was like sixty degrees outside. And I went to Trophy Point, which is this yeah. beautiful area where you just go to think sometimes. And there was another cadet there weeping. And it was Mike Meese. He was a, a senior cadet. He's the son of Ed Meese. Wow. And I so distinctly remember having this conversation with him. I'm a plebe. I'm a freshman. So it's being hazed, <laughs> but this was no time for that. And yeah. I remember that 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 wow. we were talking together about it. And what did he say? I think he was just talking about how saddened he was and how what a great man he was. And I I think he called him Dutch. You know, <laughs> I I it's a long time ago now, but uh, that that's my that's my recollection. But it was very very profound. You know. Wow. You know you can imagine. Yeah. You can imagine the only time I ever voted Republican was in 1984 as a young second lieutenant. No kidding. Voting
0: for yeah. What was it that made you vote Republican that year? I was
1: 22 years old. I was very young. That was was, that would be the second
0: time you voted. Second, I voted. Yeah, I voted for John
1: Anderson the first time, and (laughs) and I um and I remember um being being impressed with the guy. I mean, after the assassination attempt, you really, you know, his popularity rating went through the roof. Yeah, and you know, I mean. I mean, young, I'm impressionable, I'm in the military. Um he'd gone after Grenada, that was kinda cool. Uh to us anyway. <laughs> and he spoke at the graduation. And then a few months later, it's him or Walter Mondale. Yeah. And Mondale was like uh, kinda like looked like a walrus to me. It was just it, it just wasn't any there there. Yeah. Now I learned my lesson very quickly, you know, after I ran Contra and mm-hmm. and AIDS and, and and all this stuff and that was the last time I ever pulled a lever for a, a Republican yeah. in any race whatsoever, as okay. far as I recall. Yeah. Okay.
0: Now, before we go, I want to mention again, you also created the ABC series Commander-in-Chief, right. which portrayed the first fictional female president, played yes. by the great Gina Davis. I'm assuming you think that we are finally ready for a woman in the Oval Office? Yeah. you have any yeah. advice for uh, of the first female president? Based on, based, based, on on the, that. based on a TV series. <laughs> based well, on, you know, I got based on a fictional TV series. Do you have any, mm-hmm. any advice for the former uh, Secretary of State who will soon be president that she might find I, useful? Here's, <laughs> I, I have
1: advice for her in, in particular, okay? I think she needs to get Bill out of the White House. She needs to, she needs to get really? a Bill, and I got an idea. He can be ambassador to Israel. Or, okay. or a special envoy to get the Palestinians and the Israelis. That, that, you know, that has been his life his dream, was to bring peace East, to the peace, Middle East. Yeah. And maybe now we can, he can still okay. do it. And the last thing he needs is this distraction. Yeah. but I will tell you something about Commander, uh, Commander-in-Chief and Hillary yeah. before, and, and Bill before we end. You know, I got fired from Commander-in-Chief. It was uh, one of the saddest moments, uh, certainly the saddest professional moment of my career. And after I got fired, Stephen Bosco uh, came on. And let's just say that Stephen and I have different ideas about feminism. And it was so fascinating. When he took over, everything about it changed. And all of a sudden, the Gina Davis character now has to look over to her husband to get a nod before she makes a decision. It was really, right. truly bizarre. Yeah. And you know, that. it became a show about why... We should have a female president. To why we should ha- not have a female president, mm-hmm. in in a way. But one of those things, one of the reasons why I think it's maybe not the wise thing to have him in the house, is mm-hmm. because, you know, that if we want it to be an unfettered, pure presidency for for Hillary, I I don't. I, although I value his wisdom and so on, I think it should be sought. It needs to be very clear that she, and she
0: alone, is. Our president, yeah. right? I don't want it to go into the commander-in-chief part two. <laughs> well, I don't think it's too hard to get him out of the house probably. So. No, no, no. <laughs> you're probably, you're no. not going to have to twist his arm too much. No, no, no. Maybe. <laughs> well, again, uh, the film is called Killing Reagan. It airs this Sunday, October 16th at 8, 7 Central on National Geographic Channel. Rod Lurie is the director. Rod, thanks for talking to me. It's really my pleasure. Thanks again to Rod Lurie for coming on the podcast. Killing Reagan airs Sunday night, October 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central on the National Geographic Network, or watch it online at natgeotv.com. For more information about Killing Reagan, including clips and behind-the-scenes extras, go to channel.nationalgeographic.com killing-reagan. I'll repeat that. It's channel.nationalgeographic.com slash killing hyphen Reagan. I'll also include a link in the show notes for this episode. And follow Rod Lurie on Twitter at @rod_lurie. Rod Be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review while you're there. You can visit Kick-Ass News on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at KAPolitics. And please be sure to recommend Kick-Ass News to your friends on your social media. And if you really want to help out, then donate to our GoFundMe campaign at gofundme.com kickassnews. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnews.com. For now, though, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Cast News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment Inc..